This is Continuing the Conversation, a podcast with Joe Bowers and Andrew Wolf at the Gal Police Christian Church. I've always wanted to be the announcer on this thing. <laughs> this week's different. Uh, I was out of town for a wedding for a family friend, and Drew got to preach on James, uh, the remainder of chapter one, verses 19 and following. And I'm excited to quiz him a little bit about his sermon that I listened to after the fact uh, with some questions that I came up with to spur on more conversation to, as we say, continue the conversation. How are you doing, Drew? I'm doing great. You uh, are a lot better at the introdu- <laughs> introducing this I'm than just I using am. my radio voice. So I might uh, take the helm give it to you with that. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. I immediately have a question for you. All right, all right. Uh, first of all, I'm open to Philippians for my Bible study this evening rather than James, so I'll flip over to James as I ask you this question. Okay. You mentioned humbly accepting the Word, and I wondered, and you admitted that you struggle with pride and have trouble with that. Mm-hmm. Of course, I, do, I have the same problem. Yeah. But I wondered, what is the prideful hang-up that keeps us from accepting the implanted Word? You know, we hear it, but that's where James is heading, is you can hear it without doing it. What is it that keeps us from allowing it to take root in the soil of our hearts, if we want to use that analogy? So what is it? Uh, I, I think that prideful kind of barrier that we take is possibly twofold. I think, first of all, uh, honestly, some of the things we read about, we just don't want to do. Uh, we just kind of are like, man, I, I don't know if I can really, if that's even possible for me to do. Uh, and that's just part of the sinful nature of ourselves. It's kind of like a deception we kind of make for ourselves, uh, is, is that you know what, this, I'm reading this, I'm seeing these words, I'm, I'm translating what is read on these pages to my mind, but doing the actions seems so, so difficult in the long run. And so that's kind of like the first part of it. And the second part of it uh, really has to do with, I think, as we read the words, how they, what they, how we kind of receive them to heart. We can kind of put up, like I said before, barriers, and one of those things that causes that is like a kind of a denial within ourselves. So it's really, if we allow the words that we read that we read on the pages to really affect us down to our cores, down to our hearts, like they should, then effectively that is that that's kind of like that prideful divide, and that's like, well, I'm reading this, but I don't really think that I can carry it out, and it's like more of the stubbornness. Uh, which reaches which reaches the heart deep uh, aspect of it. Does that answer your question? I, I know I kind of went off the rails a little bit there. But... No, that was good. Okay, I think you answered it twofold uh, with what I would call supposed inability that we don't think we can live up to the measure of God's word. Yep. So we excuse ourselves, which I think Christians do all the time, and me too, uh, as one of those Christians. And then stubborn or superficial faith. Those are the words I came up with while you were talking. And I think all of that is rooted in pride. So yeah, I think you answered the question. To humbly accept is to overcome the prideful obstacles of superficiality and supposed inability. As long as we want a faith that only affects us on the outside, that sort of ticket to heaven, easy believism, as long as that's what we're going after, the Word of God can simply be heard and believed but never implanted and worked out in our lives. We don't have to do it. We just have to believe what we hear. Mm. But to do it is to not just believe something about it, but to put your trust in it, to put your stake in it. Yeah. So it's to, it's to stand upon God's Word rather than to simply affirm it. 
And I think to do that requires believing we can, which is trusting in God's ability over against our own inability. Yeah. And secondly, believing that we ought to or that we must. And I think one is stubborn, one is superficial, or one is uh, believing we can't, and the other is believing we don't have to. Maybe that's how we could word it in, in simple speak. Yeah. I don't think I can, or I don't think I really have to, so I'm not going to. And that, that's scary. So I would argue uh, that, that those two are the main obstacles in our prideful selves that keep us from letting God's Word be planted within our hearts, mm. which leads me to uh, another question. Once it's implanted, it's supposed to grow and bear fruit. And James goes on to talk about doing what the Word says, not just being hearers, yeah. but doers who act. Why don't we just do what the Word says? You talked about that some in the sermon, uh, maybe to continue that conversation. What holds us back from doing what God tells us to do? Maybe what are, what are some practical things that keep us from doing it? Practical things that keep us from doing it? Uh... Well, we can kind of go off what we talked about before with spiritual uh, slothness. Basically, that's one thing that can kind of keep us from doing what the Word says. When we hit that con- moment where we're content with things and our spirituality, and we, don't, we, we think we've peaked, when in actuality, that's a deception we're giving ourselves. Like, we have not peaked in the actuality. And that shows by not carrying out what the Word says and what to do. So that's one of the, that's kind of one of the things that uh, kind of keeps that divide. Um, in terms of other practical things, I just think it's everyday distractions. Honestly, things that we take for granted, things that we don't maybe see or maybe maybe we don't consider as distractions, but really do. Yeah. Like uh, for just for example, just so like I mentioned briefly uh, Sunday, it's it's you know social media stuff on that can get us in the trouble if we don't watch our tongues and kind of just allowing things to take the place within our hearts, take God's place within our hearts and our minds. Because I, I find myself... We'll get to social media in a minute. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> That's, that doesn't sound ominous. I find myself kind of getting distracted by, you know, things that mean nothing to my spirituality. Uh, yeah. And things that can be important in your everyday life. Yeah. Because I think when we think of distractions, we think, TV and cell phones, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like modern media. But people have been spiritually distracted for millennia. Yeah. Way before modern televisions existed. Mm-hmm. There have always been ways to stay busy and not focus on doing God's Word. We can come hear it on Sunday, maybe revisit it on a Wednesday night if we're some of the few and faithful. But overall, we don't do it. We don't do it, which is the Monday to Saturday grind of living out God's Word. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. One obstacle is sloth. We're just too lazy to put in the effort. And maybe the other obstacle is is the distracted busyness of life, that the enemy gives us so many other options of things to do, often things that are easier, things that are more pleasurable, things that are less costly to our reputation or or costly to our own selves, to give of ourselves, is to follow Christ. Basically, to do the Word is to become sacrificial. Yeah. So to avoid sacrifice, we could stay busy doing other things, often things that pay us back in return, yep. not things that cost us something. And, and now I'm going off the rails a bit, but, but I, think, <laughs> I think you get where I'm going. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of ways that we can convince ourselves that we're honoring the Word without ever actually doing the Word, mm. living it out. Yeah. I think that's the self-deception many Christians live in, a constant sense of, of honoring God 
and yet almost no fruit to show for it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what James is battling. He's not dealing with whether or not you are truly a believer in Jesus. He's wrestling, excuse me, he's wrestling with what comes after belief in Jesus. Okay, I get it. You believe Jesus is the resurrected Son of God, the Messiah, Savior of the world. What are you going to do about it? If you really believe that, prove it. Change, yeah. change your life. Let him change your life. I love the passive verbs. The word has to be implanted. It's not something I can do. I have to allow God to take root in my life. Yeah. And so uh, we move on here to the tongue that produces evil, and then finally we'll get to the widows and orphans. There's so much that we could talk about in just a few verses. I know. <laughs> so, so quickly we'll move on here. What good or evil can our tongues produce? And you mentioned in the sermon that tongues can, can be what you say from your mind, not just out of your mouth, that, yeah. that your fingertips become your tongue on a cell phone keyboard when you type a post on Facebook or a tweet or, uh, or even texting people back yeah. and forth or whatever. You're, it doesn't literally have to be the tongue, the muscle. It's the thought of what you come out with directed at other people, the things you say and the weight that it carries when you speak or when you write or text or whatever. What good or evil can come from that, and why should we be cautious? That's a fantastic question. Uh, well, let me start with, I'll start with the bad, then I'll go to the good. So the bad aspects of the tongue can be, like, absolutely just destructive in, in any sense of the measure. And I think, going back to the social media thing just briefly, our, our words are just things that we, like, simply say from our mouths. like. We write these things down, we take notes of things, we, we have these abilities to communicate with other people in different manners, where, whether it be through a letter or whether it be through a post or all these things. And obviously, one-to-one conversation, those words, those conversations carry so much more weight in the long run. And I'll actually get to that later when we talk about the good of the tongue. But the bad thing of the tongue is that it is, it is a, honestly... It can be used as either a tool to build up and build things or a weapon to destroy things. And when it comes to, when we allow ourselves to mentally deceive basically where we, we, we speak to others, like if I were to post something on Facebook and if it was to basically, which I would never do this, if it was basically to slander someone, it wouldn't be something where it would only be like a handful of people would see it. I I have collected over the years uh, a vast number of, I guess, Facebook friends, you know, and some of them whom I haven't talked to in over four or five years and others that are very close to me. But that that divide that 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 basically spread of people would see me slander or would see me speak falsely or, or basically very negatively about a certain a certain person and that is so detrimental to what i'm talking about because that is so impactful because the there there are people who i haven't talked to in 4 or 5 years but the last thing or or the thing that they see me as now is what i just just posted what i've just talked about even if they haven't seen me for 4 or 5 years even if i haven't seen them face to face what i post on social media is what they define me as. Yeah, whether right or wrong, Exactly, I do that with friends on Facebook, people I haven't seen in over 10 years since we graduated high school. 
I'll see something that they post and I feel like I know them in their current life state. That may or may not be accurate, but you're right. I feel like the depiction they place on social media is all that I know of them now because I don't speak to them. Haven't, yes. Haven't seen them in a decade. Yes. And, uh, and I think they know that. And sometimes that's why we're so careful about what we post. But you're right. When we're not careful, it can speak volumes to lots of people. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and so that's, that's part of the aspect I'm getting at with uh, our, our tongues not only being t- tools to build up, but weapons to tear apart because they not only like tear apart the people me, we may know personally now, it may tear apart the relationship or how someone views Jesus that we have known decades or even, even years prior. And so that's kind of like the negative things that the tongue can be used for. The positive things that the tongue can be used for uh, is, um, is incredible. And the fact of the matter is, is you have so much impact with your words, especially one-on-one. And encouragement and love and all those things go a vastly long way. And, and it, it really carries out into basically, it, it can carry out into so many people's lives. And one of the, early on when I became a, a believer, when I got to college, when I got through that weird transitional phase of being like, oh, so this is what college is like, and almost failing a class and things like, or actually forgetting I had an online class and failing it, and having that little moment of being like, oh, I should probably take things more seriously, especially including my faith. Once I got through that kind of process, I, I wanted to be someone who really encouraged others and who really was able to build them up and who basically looked at everyone, no matter who they are, no matter what they've, what they've done, as a child of God, and viewing them as my brother and sister united in the death of Christ. And so that's why I was able to do some of the things in college, like go to a prison to do ministry or go uh, travel to different camps throughout one summer and speak to kids who were struggling and hurting and all these things. And that's not me to be like, oh, look at all the things I've done. But the tongue in, in those situations, man, when someone is broken down to the point where they don't have hope, and they often are just at a loss for words and, and for really their lives, like at a loss for what the value is in their life. The tongue can build them up, but the words you say to a person matters, especially in the moments when they're at their most vulnerable. And for for me, I, I use that. I use you know that sense of of, of speaking to people as a way to build them up. And sometimes, like I said, the tongue is a tool, and sometimes it's building them up by encouraging them, or sometimes it's even uh, keeping them accountable by, being, by just basically convicting them and being like, you know, you're making these decisions I don't think you should be making. Maybe you should kind of revalue or reevaluate what you're doing right now in your life. And again, that's not to come across like as, as judgmental, but to keep each other accountable in that sense. So I, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. I just, I know I ran, I rambled. No, again, that was but, good. But the, the tongue is both things. So. Yeah, that was good. Okay. So speaking of the good and bad, I can't help but think some people compete so that they don't have to feel loss. Mm. We don't want to lose. Yeah. But others compete because the, they want the glory of winning. Yeah. And you kind of need both a fear of losing and, and an excitement for winning. Both of those are, are powerful 
in their their means to push us forward is what I'm trying to say. And I think James knows that, and he presents the bad and the good to remind us of what can hurt and what can help. Thinking about what you said, the bad, if I split these into three categories, the bad of our tongues is that we can damage others, hurt our own reputations, and silence our witness for Christ. Mm, yep. But likewise, if we use the tongue for good, we can encourage others and give them hope. We can set an example of integrity and accountability, and we can vocalize our witness for Christ. We can speak up for Jesus. And I think that's what James would have us consider. Yep. What damage can you do with your tongue? But flip that coin over, what good can be done with your tongue, with your words and your convictions toward others? I think that's great. So again, for time, we'll move on. Uh, the last main idea that James approaches here is the care of widows and orphans. And uh, as I listened to your sermon, you talked about how we need to be more considerate of the people around us that need our help, yeah. especially widows and people who are shut in their homes. Uh, th- there's a desire in the church to care for people who need to be cared for, and yet I couldn't help but take notes. Is that just deacon work? Is that just what the ministers do? Or is there an expectation that all believers participate in taking care of orphans and widows? And uh, I, would, I would also mention 1 Timothy 5 as a passage that you listening may want to go home and read over for Paul's considerations about widows. But here, James makes it clear, taking care of them is the burden of the church. So Drew, what do you think? Is it the burden of the church leadership of an established local church, or do the congregants bear that weight? Well, I think it, it, no, it's definitely not just <laughs> excluded to leadership. It's it's the congregation. As members of the body of Christ, we all have a role to play within the kingdom of God. And when you read that we ha- we're supposed to have that burden upon us, then you should take heed to that. You should take heed to what James is saying. It is not just the leadership's burden. It is the burden of every single church member, regardless of where you attend church. Like, like if if I'm sure if you went to any sort of church, no matter, it should be a universal thing. It should, it should be, it should basically be a universal thing where it's not just something that the leadership does in a church, but it's the whole congregation that follows out. And that is important to kind of talk about because there, there's so much confusion with, confusion with that sometimes. And I think it's good to kind of talk about that disparity. But. Well, isn't that the same disparity James addresses at the beginning with the word? Because that's what I couldn't help but put together mm. in my mind. The very same people who think the orphans and widows should be taken care of by nonprofit organizations and uh, the local ministers or elders or deacons of a church, those are the same people who think the preacher should be doing my Bible study for me and implanting my word in his heart, and then he can just tell me what to do with it. There's this miscon- misnomer, uh, misconception in the church that all that is expected of the believer is that they believe something about Jesus. And we've lost the need to follow Jesus, to do what he did. And I think James was bringing us back to that, reeling Mm -hmm. us in, even in the 50s AD, but 2,000 years later, we still need the reminder, do what Jesus did. Do not be hearers only, but doers of the word. That is true, undefiled religion. Mm -hmm. So my final comment that I wanted to mention is something that uh, you may or may have not heard. the word religion is from Latin, and it means to tie together. Mm. And in modern evangelicalism, and all of modern Christianity, we've made a dirty word out of religion. And there are these movements, relationship, not a religion. 
people put it on their Facebook page. <laughs> I'm in a relationship with Jesus, not a religion. It's this cool buzzword stuff. And, and I've caught myself thinking it before because it's been shoved down our throats. But religion is not a dirty word. It's a biblical word. Yeah. And James uses it here to describe the work of God in tying his people together. Notice that when he refers to religion, he's talking about taking care of orphans and widows. I think that's spectacular. Because in the mind of James, religion isn't your relationship with God. That's your relationship with God. Religion is how God ties his people together Mm. in relationship with one another. Yep. And so we need religion. We Mm. need a relationship with God, and we need religion. And the only way we have religion is when we actually do something because of our relationship with God. And I think that's what James is saying. I think, yep, absolutely. No, that's, that's a great point. And again, it's a twofold thing relationship with one another as God's people, like that, that's good to say, have that connection. And then obviously your own personal relationship with God himself. It's just, it's twofold. And it's important to realize that, I mean, everything you said is, I I did not know that. So that's a great, that's a great, that's a great fun fact for me to learn today. I don't remember where I learned that, but I looked it up and it's true. And I learned it a long time ago, but I learned some from you this week. I appreciated your sermon. Thank you again for preaching, and yeah. I know it's refreshing for everybody to hear someone else share a message, uh, so I, I don't take that for granted. Thank you, and uh, we'll continue the conversation with you next week. Absolutely.